0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning, and I... uh... I want to just set this up for you for a moment before I read these passages. Once again, as I mentioned earlier, we're walking with Jesus right now. It's the time of Lent, and each Lent season, we love to do this. We love to just walk in the footsteps of Jesus as, as he spends those last days here with his disciples and ask ourselves, what does that mean for us today? The things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said to his disciples, because here we are modern-day followers of Christ, modern-day disciples. And these last words of Jesus to his disciples must be important. You think of how when you're leaving someone and how you want to make sure you emphasize certain points before you leave them. And today, we're going to be talking about a question that I think is so important to our lives. And that question is this simple question. How do I get God to show up powerfully in my life? We have a lot of new believers here at Crosswalk. And I know that's a question that's frequently asked. How, how can I know that God is decisively present for me when I need him? And I think all of us have gone through that struggle at one point or another where we've said to ourselves, look, how can I know that I can get access to God when I need him? And that's what we're going to talk about here in just a second as I uh, locate my crosswalk notes. Locate your crosswalk notes. And uh, let's open up... And look at that very top passage because this is going to tell us something that you may not have ever understood before about how God wants to be decisively present in your life. Think about this as you're reading this. Remember, Jesus is spending his last moments now. This is Thursday before he's going to be arrested. The Friday he's going to be crucified. And the disciples have been forewarned. Look, Jesus says, I'm going. I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to return to the Father. And a question in their mind must have been, what? We need you. We need you to be here. We need you to show up. And and they've learned this over three years. How many times has Jesus said to them, oh, you of little faith, right? They've learned that they need Jesus to be present. So here's, here's what Jesus says to them. While they were eating, and they were eating the Passover meal together, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When is it that you most need God to be decisively present in your life. When you are saying, God, please show up now, right? Is it when, maybe like David or Moses, you're trying to lead in your family, lead your children, lead your spouse, or in, in the business world, lead your business... And like Moses and David, all you can hear around you is complaints about your leadership and how you fall short and and, and how things just aren't going. And there's no clear vision for where this family is going, where this business is going. And those times when you as a leader want to throw up your hands and go, (laughs) God, if you don't show up, I don't think I can take another step forward. You know, Moses and David said that many times as leaders. Or are you maybe like the widow of Zarephath, who didn't know where her next meal was going to come from back in the days of Elijah, one of my favorite songs to sing, Days of Elijah. And she is wondering, her her oil has run low, her flour has run low, and here comes this guy named Elijah, and he says, make a meal for me. And she goes, look, I have only enough for one more meal for myself and my son, and then we're just going to curl up and die after that because there's no more food in the house. Do you have situations like that going on in your life? And you're going, God, are you going to show up here? Or are you, and we know this is very present in our world today from the events of Japan are you like Job going through a season of danger and disaster and disease and through that danger disaster and disease you're saying God where where are you in this I know you say all things work together for good for those who love you, but man, Lord, it's just so hard. My faith seems so small, so puny right now. Will you please show up? Or, and maybe this is many of us. We just prayed about it. Are you like Peter? Peter? there in the high priest's courtyard after he had run away, even though he'd promised Jesus, I will, I will never run away from you, Jesus. And yet, boom, the moment the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he booked it out of there so fast, I don't think you even saw the dust fly off of his feet. And now Jesus looks at him, with that poignant look across that high priest's courtyard, and Peter's heart dissolves in guilt and shame. Is that you? Struggling with some sin that you've told Jesus, Jesus, no more. I'm not going to do it again. I promise I would never do that to you again. And boom, it happens again. And you can almost sense the eyes of Jesus on you, the voice of Jesus in your ear saying, I thought you said you wouldn't do that again. You see, in all those times, one of the main questions we ask is, God, are you going to show up? Because man, if there's anything I know right now, I'm not enough. I'm not sufficient to this task. I can't make it on my own. I need you. I need you to be decisively present in my life. And that leads to today's question. When those things are going on, how do we get God to show up? And, and, and you might say, well, what do you mean? How do we get God to show up? Isn't God always present? I mean, isn't he, as the theologians say, omnipresent, present everywhere, wherever I go? Isn't he up in the heavens? Isn't he down here on the earth? Doesn't he say to us, my arm is not too short to save you? Yes, he does. He does say all those things. And yet, the Bible also talks about a difference between God's omnipresence, his presence everywhere, and his special relational presence with his children. Think about your sins. Do you know what your sins have by nature done to you and God? They have estranged you from God. The Bible says that by nature, because of our sin, and we're all born with sin. Remember, we quoted it before. There is no one who lives without sin, for all have sinned against God and fallen short of his glory. Every person, when they're born, is born an enemy of God, estranged from him. So is God present? Yes. But think of that word, estranged. There's a difference, isn't there, between having a stranger present next to you, someone who's angry with you, and having your father next to you. And that's a whole different ballgame. God tells us that he becomes our father through faith in Jesus Christ. When God sent his son into the world to die for us, and, to, and he raised him from the grave, he did all of that so that we would believe and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it's when we trust, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because remember, we're God's enemies. We want to run away from God, not run to him. It's when, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we go from being a stranger to having God as our Father through faith in Christ, that everything changes and we can say God is going to be decisively present in our lives. And until we understand that it is by faith in Christ that we can be called the children of God, then here's what we're going to do. We're still going to have the craving for God. We're going to still have that God-shaped hole in our hearts. We're going to still want something. But when we ask the question, how can I get God to show up in my life, too often we're going to be, we're going to be tempted to use cheap substitutes instead of the real thing. Just yesterday I was at a conference for people dealing with drug and alcohol dependencies and other addictions. And in this conference, I got to hear how many physical things people substitute to try to fill the craving and the hole in their heart and then come to realize that those things only satisfy, if at all, for just a short time. They never permanently satisfy. Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, some people were even talking about emotions or things like codependency and saying, man, I'm just addicted to needing people because I'm a codependent, to pat me on the back because I'm doing good, helpful things, or I'm addicted to my anger and my bitterness. And we substitute those things, those addictions, for what can truly fill our hearts. The physical gets substituted for the spiritual. The created gets substituted for the creator. Now, some will substitute something else. Do you know what that is? Not the physical, but the mystical. Some will say, well, I'm not sure how to find God in my life. And then they'll just try to dig deeper within themselves. They'll pray and they'll hope. They'll fast and they'll do all these things hoping that somehow God, like in the Old Testament, is going to come to them in a vision or a dream or in a voice. And certainly in the Old Testament, we see that God sometimes does that. But how certain is that? After all, the Bible does say, doesn't it, that even the devil himself can masquerade as an angel of light. I was talking to a, a, a really close friend of mine this week who had an experience. And I, I don't know how to evaluate those experiences Exactly. Many of you may have had a very similar mystical experience. And she felt through that that she came very close to Jesus, this experience. And then she had a fellow Christian ask her this simple question. How do you know that was really Jesus? Because doesn't the Bible say the devil will masquerade as an angel of light? How do you know for sure? Right? And what's the answer? The answer is, we can't know for sure. Was it? Perhaps. The Lord appearing? Perhaps. But we won't ever know for sure. So where is that place? Where you and I can say to ourselves, and we can tell our dear friends, whether it's physical or mystical, where's that place where we can say, for sure, if you go here, you're going to meet God. He is going to be decisively present, and he's going to show up in your life. Let's take a look at our crosswalk notes. Consequently, it says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message. Remember what we said? We become God's children by faith in Jesus Christ. So the next logical question is, where do I find faith? And what does this say? Faith comes from hearing this message. This one right here in the Bible. Faith comes from hearing the message And the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know, in some ways, when we ask this question, we're going through tough times in our lives. Some of us are going to need to dial down the mystery. Dial a little bit. Those of us who are looking for mystical experiences, miracles, even the Apostle Paul says, Jews look for miracles and they're looking in the wrong place. He said 2,000 years ago about the Jewish people, right? And and he's really saying there, they need to dial down the mystery level in in, uh, this area of their lives and realize, yes, God works in mysterious ways, but guess what? Also at times he says, look, right here, Right here is where you go if you want God's decisive presence in your life, to the Bible, to his word. And you may be asking, what about in the Old Testament? I mean, we see God showing up in so many ways. He just shows up and talks to Abraham. It's interesting, the very first encounter that Abraham has with God in the Bible, all it says is, and the Lord said to Abraham... There are times when God shows up in a burning bush, in dreams, in visions. And some of you may be wondering, are you you saying that God can't do that nowadays? And I'm certainly not saying that God can't do that nowadays. He certainly can if he wants to. But look at what he says he will do. Take a look at the next passage. In the past... It says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. I want you to underline in the past. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, burning bushes, dreams, visions, a voice. But in these last days, he has spoken to us how as we just read from the book of Romans, by his Son, through the message of Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. You see, all before Jesus Christ were messengers. When Jesus came, he was not just a messenger. He was the message. And the Apostle John even says that. John, the Apostle, in the first chapter of his gospel, says, The Word became flesh. So here's the very first thing that I want to pass on to you, and it's so critical that you hear this and that we all hear this that in some ways we need to dial down that mystery dial and go, You know what? There's no mystery. If I want to encounter God, if I want God to show up in my life, if I want him to be decisively present, here's where he tells me to go. To the word. To the Bible. Jesus is present in our lives through his word. Isn't it kind of nice to know that we can dial down the mystery? a little bit think about when you're trying to find your uh, radio station that you love and you're not quite you can't remember what were those numbers again where was that on the dial and you're searching up and down the dial trying to find that favorite radio station and finally you just get frustrated and you throw your hands up you're like I can't find that station where did it go how can I get it tuned in And really, what Jesus is saying to us is this. You got a preset right here. Just push this button, and your connection with God is going to be right there. And it's going to be sure and certain, no doubts. In fact, even Jesus used this to fight Satan. So Satan, he hates this stuff. So let's go on. It's kind of cool to know that there are actually three forms in which God delivers his word to us. It's here in book form. But also the Bible tells us that the water of baptism is another way in which when we connect the Bible to that water... We receive all the blessings contained in this book. We, we receive forgiveness. Our sins are washed away. We receive new life. We become adopted into God's family and get all his power backing us up. We receive, because our sins are washed away and we have the power of faith, we receive eternal life through the waters of baptism. And the final way that God presents his word to us is what Jesus talks about in the passage that we read here as he's meeting with his disciples on the last day, the Lord's Supper. So will you write those three down? The Bible, baptism, the Lord's Supper. Those are the three forms in which God has promised, look, here is how you can find me. Here is how I will come and be present in your heart, in your mind, in your life. And these are called the means of grace because when we access God through these three means, the Bible, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, we're actually accessing all the blessings that God has for us in his word, meaning his grace, that is his undeserved love, his mercy, and his forgiveness to us. Think about those times that we talked about at the beginning of this message where you're going through stuff in your life, right? And you're struggling. Where are you, God? What does this mean? It means, here, take the mystery out. Here's where I've got to go. I've got to get back into reading my Bible every day. I've got to remember my baptism I was washed clean of all my sins and adopted into God's family. He is my father, and I am his child. I've got to get back to the Lord's Supper, where he gives me his body and blood and reminds me of all that he did to ransom me from sin, death, and the devil. The means of grace, the the pathways, the vehicles, the instruments in which God pours out his grace into our hearts. Now, I want to talk specifically about this third means of grace because that's what Jesus is talking about. And I want to talk about how he is decisively present in that third means of grace, the Lord's Supper. And here's where I want you to do something a little different. Remember how I just told you to dial down the mystery dial? When you're you're thinking about, okay, I'm not quite sure where to get God to show up in my life. I'm not quite sure where to tap into his presence and his power, his forgiveness, his grace. Dial down that mystery dial. It's all right here in these three means of grace. But as we talk about Holy Communion, I want you to do something that most Christians don't do enough of. They don't dial the mystery dial up enough. The exact opposite. Because... When we talk about God working in mysterious ways, you heard me last week talk about the Lord's Supper when Jesus established this on the very first Passover. I called it the quiet miracle. There were the the 12 disciples, and Jesus gathered alone in this small group in the upper room, Jesus was about to be arrested. He wants to gather the 12 for the last time and give them the final instructions. And at the end of celebrating the Passover meal with them, he says this, taking bread, giving thanks, he gives it to his disciples, take and eat. This is my body. Now talk about mysterious, miraculous supernatural words. What does that mean? Take and eat. This is my body. And then he takes a cup filled with wine. When he had given thanks, he gives it to them, saying, drink from it all of you this cup is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins and again I want you to circle something there in the first phrase circle this is my body and in the second phrase this is my blood what in the world does that mean what what is he saying there And that's where we have to dial up the mystery dial. Man, something amazing and sacred and holy and miraculous, something supernatural is happening here that he can take a piece of unleavened bread that looks like a cracker, a dried out cracker, and say, This is my body. We talked a, a little bit about, uh, ago of, of taking created things and putting them in the place of God. But here, here Jesus takes a created things, smashed grapes that have been fermented and become wine. And he says, this is my blood. What does that mean? Talk about mystery and miracle. And in fact, Paul the Apostle does just that. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29. If anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing, circle that word, recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Hear what Paul's saying there? If you and I eat or drink without knowing that Jesus Christ, his body and blood are truly present in that sacrament, this is powerful medicine. This is prescription medicine. And if it's misused, if we don't recognize what, it's really, what it really is and what it's really there for, it's not for our good. We eat and drink judgment on ourselves. See how important it is to understand that Jesus is decisively present in this sacrament. What a mystery. Look at what it says in First Corinthians 10. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Underline the word participation. It's literally this word Koinonia. And that is the word that we use in the New Testament for fellowship or holding things in common. What he's really saying is when you eat of that bread, which is Christ's body, when you drink of that one, which is Christ's blood, you are participating in, you are sharing in, you are communing in the body and blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation, a sharing in the body of Christ. Here's what we need to know, and this is the mystery of communion. Communion is not merely something to get us thinking about what Jesus did. The Lord's Supper is not something to just get us remembering That Jesus died on the cross, gave his body, shed his blood for us. Jesus says that when we receive this amazing, miraculous sacrament, we are taking him, his true body and his true blood into ourselves. Now, do I understand that? Do I fully get the mystery and the miracle and the sacredness of that? In no way nor will you, but nevertheless, this is one of those places where we walk on God's promises and we say, if Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, then I'm going to walk on those words. I don't need to fully understand them to know that, hey, if I want Jesus to literally be present inside of me, then there is nothing more vital and critical than getting my feet to move to the Lord's Supper and to literally eat and drink that bread and wine, which is Christ's body and blood. And notice what it says. In this next verse, it says, when we do that, Jesus is there, and we are reminding ourselves and everyone else We are proclaiming all that he's done for us. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So imagine, here's Jesus. He's in his last moments with the disciples. And he's saying to them, look, guys, yes, I'm going to heaven. But here's a way in which I will keep my promise to you. The promise that I'm going to make when I say I am with you always to the very end of the age through this sacred meal called communion. So here's your second point. Jesus was with his original disciples and still is with us today present in and through communion. I don't think, again, talking about dialing up the mystery dial, I don't think sometimes even I fully appreciate all the blessings, and I would ask you the same question. Do you fully appreciate all the blessings that come to us when we receive the true body and blood of Christ in communion? You see what it says in 1 Corinthians ten seventeen: Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. When we come to communion, there is an increased fellowship, a koinonia, a sharing in, in, in Christ. That vertical relationship gets strengthened. But here it says something else goes on. This relationship between all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ also gets strengthened when we come to the Lord's table together. Just like those little pieces of bread that the disciples received came off of one loaf of bread, we're to be reminded that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come together in communion and it draws us together in fellowship. Go back to the original text, Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant, Jesus says, when he establishes communion, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When you come, And you come with a humble and repentant heart and you receive the Lord's Supper. You walk away a new person each and every time. Having accessed God's forgiveness and grace anew. It's beautiful. It's it's so wonderful to walk away from the Lord's table going, Ah, once again, I'm just so grateful that God gives me forgiveness and again not just a reminder of the forgiveness but actually conveys his forgiveness to you through this sacrament and then look at the promise of Romans chapter 8 if Christ is in you and certainly when we take Christ's true body and blood in in communion when he's really present there he is in us When Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Talk about the power that we all need to change our lives. Communion. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if you want to have confidence that this life is not all there is, that there is something much bigger and better and permanent, even eternal after this life communion. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. How do I get God to show up in those times with his power? Well, here it all is. You want forgiveness? You want to be assured that that there's eternal life waiting for you? You want the power for life change and transformation so that you can make the changes you want to make stick in your life? You want to have brothers and sisters that you feel close to who will have your back and you'll have theirs? All those blessings are promised to us through Holy Communion. So here's what I want you to write number three. Jesus' presence in communion brings spiritual benefits one after another. Now, because we have a lot of new believers here at Crosswalk, and because we tend to get a lot of guests here at Crosswalk, there's one other vital question that needs to be answered. And it's this simple one. Well, Pastor Jeff, if Holy Communion is so important, if it's so holy and so sacred and so powerful, why are you telling us we have to take all of these classes before we can come? Right? I'll bet some of you have asked that. I've been asked that, and I'm always, I love getting that question, because there is a good reason. And I want to take you back to the Old Testament. Do you know what the Ark of the Covenant was? It was a special box that God made that contained reminders. And remember what Jesus says about communion as I'm making this comparison. Do this in remembrance of me. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, and why I like comparing communion to the Ark of the Covenant, were reminders of God's grace. A jar of manna to remind the Israelites that God had provided for them richly even though they were walking through a desert for 40 years. Aaron's staff, which had budded, to remind them that when they needed firm, strong, clear leadership, God had pulled off a miracle and made uh, Aaron's dead staff bud and even produce almonds overnight to say, here's the guy that needs to be the one that leads in in the tabernacle worship, Aaron and no one else. And the third and final thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant, do you know what it was? The two tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments written on them. And do you know why that was a symbol not only of God's holiness, but a symbol of his grace? How many times had God had to write down those commandments? Not once, but twice. Why? Because the first time, Moses got hacked off with the Israelites because they were practicing idolatry and making golden calves, and he threw the first set down, and they broke. But God graciously said to Moses, I will replace them. And he did. Inside the ark are reminders of God's grace. And he said, This ark is holy. No one is to touch it, not even the priests. And only the priests can actually put the carrying poles through it. But while they're doing that, they they shouldn't touch it. Only the priest can carry it because it is sacred, holy, and set apart. I want you to notice that when Jesus established, and and we read it, when he established Holy Communion, he did not do it on a hillside. You know from the story of the feeding of the 5,000, there were times when Jesus preached from a hillside and crowds, thousands of people, were following him. But when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he pulled together those who had walked with him for three years, quietly, to the side, in an upper room, As if to say to them, this is holy and sacred and intimate. And there needs to be a certain amount of knowledge before you take this very powerful, powerful medicine. Otherwise, it can be misused and it will damage instead of bless. Now I want you to look at some passages with me. 1 Corinthians 11. In the following directives Paul writes, I have no praise for your f- praise for you. I have no praise for you. Why not? For your meetings and he's talking about worship which included communion, your meetings do more harm than good. And in verse 20 he goes on, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. Now, outwardly was it the Lord's supper? Yep. They thought it was the Lord's Supper, but because they were not treating it as sacred and holy and there was infighting and selfishness, Paul says, don't think that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Go down to the next one. And we've read one similar to it. You can link this one to the one at uh, the bottom of the previous page 1st uh, Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29 and I tell you that because I want you to notice that he says this twice so go back to the first page one passage up from the very bottom for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks what judgment on himself now flip back over he's already said this once Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What's Paul telling us? What's God telling us? He's telling us this is a sacred, intimate moment of communion with God when we come to holy communion. It is something like the ark to be set apart and held special and dear and understood. And that's why it's very important for a church to say, let's make sure that people really get it, really understand this powerful medicine, especially a church like ours, where we have a lot of guests and newcomers, people who have never been Christians before, and may not fully have ever learned what this thing called Holy Communion is all about. Take a look at the very last passage. Because some would say, well, why not just let everyone decide that for themselves? Why does the church have to be the one that puts the hand up? And I want you to see what Paul says about that. Paul's talking to the Corinthians about very similar issues of communion. And he says, look, you're going to fall under God's judgment. But if we, notice this plural, we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis, Cain and Abel. What was Cain's question? Am I my God? brother's keeper. What's Paul's question? Are you your brother's keeper when it comes to something that is powerful medicine, powerful spiritual medicine, that can bring God decisively present into lives? And the answer, Paul says, is yes, you are your brother's keeper. Because whoever eats this and drinks it without recognizing the body of the Lord or coming with an unrepentant heart in an unworthy manner will drink judgment, not blessing on themselves. If we judge ourselves together, we will not come under judgment. So here's what I want you to write, number four. Jesus' presence in communion means it is holy. And that means... Just like the Ark of the Covenant, it is to be handled with care. Now let me say this in closing. Are we trying to keep people away from communion here at Crosswalk? Not in the least. We want, I wish that every one of you would come to communion. But I also want you to know that it is powerful medicine And the reason we do tell you before you come to communion, even if you're a veteran Christian, because remember that oneness angle. Remember that we are an outreach church. Before you come to communion, take our 101 class, take our 201 class, ensure that you understand Holy Communion as we do you heard me say already, here's where we at this church dial up the mystery dial. Jesus is really present in this meal. And he's going to strengthen you spiritually through it. We want all of you to come, but use that path through 101 and 201 class. Here's what we want you to do is taking a next step, living the adventure here at Crosswalk. Make a commitment to yourself that you will gain access to God's amazing spiritual blessings of forgiveness, new life, and salvation by regularly making use of the Lord's Supper. And use that pathway that we've given for you to do that here at Crosswalk. I want all of you to be receiving the Lord's Supper here, but I want you to do it with understanding that it is sacred, holy, mysterious, and that Jesus is really present and shows up in your life through it. Now, here's a passage that will support all of this. Jesus himself says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, you are an amazing God. And for you to take the physical bread and wine and to put your very presence, your supernatural presence inside of physical elements is beyond our comprehension. We don't know how you do that. It is a huge mystery to us, Lord. But how important for us to know here exactly is where we can tune in to you where we can dial it up and know that you are going to be decisively present in our hearts, minds, and lives when we receive Holy Communion. Lord, we thank you that you established this holy sacrament for your disciples and for us today. And we ask you to continue through uh, the teaching that we do here at Crosswalk to call more people into your presence and to make more people aware of your power and to share with them your grace, that their sins without question are forgiven by the sacrifice of your body and the shedding of your blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.